Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Water Spray Firm podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and I have Tony with me here today. Hey T, how's it going? It was your birthday last weekend. How was it? Uh, it was good. Uh, well, yeah, it was laid back. I had uh, drank some incredibly fancy rare beer um on saturday night so my birthday was technically sunday so saturday night uh watched some uh, ufc fights and drank uh really really good um ipas and double ipas uh, so that was a lot of fun and saturday just sat in bed on my birthday you know watched uh watched football and really did nothing and then um got a surprise delivery of beer from none other than Wei Shen reaching out all the way from Hong Kong um, <laughs> that I'm drinking right now. And it is excellent from Three's Brewing. So yeah, it was a good time. Good, good. I'm I'm glad you liked it. Were you surprised? Oh, God, I, like I got a text and it's like, we're almost there with your order. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't put in an order for anything. They're like, oh, well, it must be a gift. I was like, oh. Okay, and then he shows up, and it's like this assortment of IPAs, pales, saisons, and like that. And I was like, "Oh man, Ray Shen, just the classiest, classiest person I know." I was like, "That was pretty cool. A very pleasant surprise." Um, Alice was thrilled that I was receiving more beer um, to drink. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Did he include a note? Yes, there was. Yes, uh, oh, a little note okay. from you. Because yes. I was like, I, I, I put it in like the special request, like, um, this guy is one of your loyal customers. Um, <laughs> could you please include this in a note? And then I just put happy birthday to you or something like that. And if I, yeah, somebody hand wrote a note. Like, you told yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like, I was like, did she actually send that to him or what? Like, probably somebody else just filled that in. So, yeah, it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> it was a much Me, better 40. I remember my handwriting. No, no, I don't. It's a much better birthday than, uh, well, my, my 40th birthday was quite the blowout. Uh, a lot of people over, obviously, pandemic can't do that anymore. Um, and, but drank copious amounts of beer. I think I smoked three or four cigars that night. Next day, I thought I was literally going to die, uh, to the point where I was like, Alice, if I die, you know, feel free to move on. You mourn me for like a year, but then you can move on and it'll be okay. <laughs> So yeah, I remember was... you. I remember you telling telling us about that. Actually, I think we spoke about this on the podcast last year. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, so this one was just, you know, so kept it cool, uh, just because again we were just it was a tasting, like me and two of my other friends, uh, just trying out these uh, fancy beers. So it was great. Okay, cool. Um, so we've actually just ended our uh, the Water Technology Innovation Exchange three week mm-hmm. conference. It's been three weeks of. Uh, uh, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> a lot of good panels uh, and great discussions that uh, uh, that we've had, um, and also that has given us some ideas and, and things like that. But uh, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guests on for this week? Yeah. So as we did last week, right now Weishan and I were just milking free content from the Innovation <laughs> Exchange, uh, so that we don't have to set up any interviews or do any interviewing ourselves. Well, I guess I did have to do this interview, but. One of the panels that I moderated, uh, we had two chief data officers, uh, Andrew Foster from Deutsche Bank, uh, Michael Rutledge from Citizens Bank. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael Rutledge was the C- chief information officer, uh, Andrew CDO, and David Wright is a CDO uh, for Commerce Bank. 
And, you know, we hit on just a lot of interesting topics. And I wish I could tell you right now what those topics are going to be. I've got to go and listen to the podcast or to the actual recording, decide which snippets I want to use. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting ahead of the cart here a little bit, but uh, we, we have we, I've received permission to use it. So, uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Great. And uh, the following weeks, we um, have some other guests lined up for you. So, you know, to our loyal listeners, please do stay tuned and, uh, you know, also reach out to us if you have uh, an idea of what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, no, we, we got a lot of good guests coming. Like uh, so, yeah. like I said, August, we were kind of just slow playing <laughs> it, you know, just kind of just being like just shooting from the hip. Now it's going to be a lot of good guests. Uh, the, the rest of the we're done with the panels after this week. Um, but hopefully you're enjoying them. Uh, hopefully they, they gave some good insights and thanks to my expert moderating. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, without uh, wasting too much time, let's just jump straight to it. All right, catch you all later. See ya. Obviously, some issues were faced by everybody. Um, and I think that the way I would like to start off this conversation is just a little bit more looking at it from a data perspective. Um what were kind of some of the lessons learned? Uh, David, I'm going to start with you. You know, at the start, you know, when, when everything kind of started to kick off, I would imagine that there were some issues that cropped up that you haven't really experienced before. What are maybe some lessons learned that you're hoping that will make your team, the organization kind of smarter about how it handles data, how it delivers data going forward? Yes. Uh, yeah. Lots of things to be learned out of this, right? And, and I like to think of it as being an opportunity on or a catalyst, right, in terms of what we can do differently going forward. And I think also it, it's a huge driver in realization for understanding the need for being agile and nimble and in all times, but, you know, times like COVID and, and other disruptor factors driving particular emphasis or creating special focus on that um, and identifying, you know, what data, what new data do I need or what data do I need to be looking at differently to um, work within the boundaries of the dials, right? The dials, what I mean by that, we are, we're in a pressure cooker environment at the moment. Things are, you know, where things are have shifted and how we need to look at that data and drive our analytics um, has changed. But it, what I'm trying to say is that it's a pure example of the fact that any given day we need to be able to shift um, and be able to refocus our analytics on the data that we have and making that data available in, in as clean and ready fashion on a regular basis. Um, you know, to get specific, you know, in the financial industry, credit risk is incredibly important right now based on market conditions and, and all of the economic factors that are happening um, as a result of, of the current environment. And so do we have all of the right data there to make the right assessments and be able to service the community the best way possible, but managing the risk appropriately? Um, and it also shows, you know, where some of those styles need some adjusting and tweaking um, based on, on some of the new conditions that we're experiencing. Did that cause you guys to, so for when you, when you realize that you have to make adjustments to these dials, as you say, like let's say for a credit risk, did that lead you to have to work internally to, I would imagine it's a little bit of both, but can you talk about kind of how much of that is internally okay, we on kind of the CDO team and, and the people that you manage and then to the broader technology team, how much of that is you guys have to do that? How much of it is, you know what, we, we were better off if we partner with a third party provider on this. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of give and take between what you're doing internally, what you're kind of offloading to uh, your vendor partners? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, um, 
different environments require different conditions and different ways of responding to different like different scenarios, right? So ideally, we would like to be able to use um, those in the industry who are subject matter experts on being able to identify how to shift those dials, but also then you have to counter that with market conditions like today that could affect, you know, how we uh, we need to be managing our own expenses and finances. So finding that right balance of when to pull in the third party person or, or group to help solve some of the equations versus when do we just need to solve those on our own. Um, this particular condition, right, with with the economic is is, is a driver where we have to um, be conscious of our expense structure just at the moment and, and look a little bit more internally to solve some of those problems. But, um, you know, it, so it's, it's, it's finding that right balance of when to include the third party uh, based on subject matter expertise and availability versus, um, you know, the other economical conditions that might be going on in the market at the same time. And just uh, one quick follow-up to that is, and you don't have to give me any names, but Another interesting component of that is, did you kind of learn, because I think this has kind of been a proving ground these eight months, six, eight months has been a proving ground for vendor, you know, data providers, data delivery services as to can you really deliver under stress? Did you, what, did you kind of have to reassess any vendors that you were kind of using during this um, or maybe realize that they weren't quite proper for that, that you would kind of had to kind of, this might not be our long-term solution. We're going to have to figure out a long-term plan. Yeah, absolutely. And evaluating the data sets that are available and, and the interactions or partnerships with those vendors and, you know, what's their strength or forte. Um, and then, you know, again, I like to think of this whole disruption as an opportunity of what we need to think about going forward. So to your point, Tony, like, what are we learning right now, you know, based on those relationships that might alter how we want to continue that relationship on a go forward basis? Makes sense. And uh, Andrew, I'll kick it over to you next. As you had mentioned in the open, um, Deutsche Bank, I believe in uh, July around there, maybe, maybe earlier, um, had announced a partnership with Google. Um, and we're going to certainly talk about cloud and how that's been disrupting. But for you guys, what were, uh, to kind of continue on uh, with what Dave was saying, what were some of those lessons learned maybe first? And then we'll kind of maybe delve into to how you are using the cloud and delivering that information. Yeah, I mean, and I'd say if I give you a flashback to Hurricane Sandy, which was probably what around 2013, mm -hmm. at the time uh, the technology was such that you dial into your your worktop in the office, and you could tell how important you were because as the building went to backup power, people would go around turning off desktops. Yes. Right. So a couple of days into Sandy, my desktop got turned off because at the time, sort of heading a change function, you know, you didn't need me to to calculate risk or to execute trades. Mm -hmm. You flash forward to now. And, and the difference is incredible, right? It's, it's that full desktop virtualization. So a hard transition over to working remotely hasn't really been, you know, my personal experience hasn't been any kind of uh, technology limitations. You get personal limitations like I've got maybe with a bit of a bandwidth challenge, but you get to carry on as, as you normally do. So the organization then gets to focus on the other elements that surround the individual. So, you know, Christiana Riley sort of posted in the on LinkedIn this morning and highlighted that Wall Street Journal article. So, you know, we, we're not having to look at things from technology limitations. We get to just sort of carry on. It's, it's more, can you keep a cohesive team executing over that longer term period. Okay. Yeah, let me let me ask you about that because so it's been interesting to see. We've written a couple articles about like um, UBS, Tradition, uh, SockGen, Goldman, and they've talked about kind of the switch over to kind of uh, virtualized desktops. And 
you know, and then we've written about how some banks have struggled with kind of VPN and kind of going that way. So virtualized seems to be the way forward. It, would you put that as one of kind of those lessons that as everybody, this unprecedented uh, experience of having everybody working remotely, that, you know, kind of these virtualized desktops, that that's kind of the way forward? And how do you then build off of that? So, yeah, we know it's working for you. It's good. How can it be improved for the future? Yeah, so it's so interesting. So, so I would say, you know, a, a couple of things. So I think it is the way forward and this, you know, very much my own personal experience, but I think you, you get to introduce the word scalability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it did full pandemic transition. We were pretty good. Uh, and then as we moved on, it's just got better and better. And I think that ability to scale up in the background has been tremendous. I think the, the focus now is, is almost on the components that you deal with each day. And I would say, you know, conferencing is a big part of it. You know, so, so each bank, each organization has its preferred supplier. Uh, within the organization, it's, what we have is pretty good. Um, using to Skype for business. Uh, the interesting thing is, is when I talk to, for example, on a conference like this, it's a particular kind of link. Um, you know, there's there's WebEx out there, there's Zoom out there, there's BlueJeans out there. There's all these other different kinds of things. It's it's how do you remain cohesive in the industry? I've actually found more of a challenge than uh, than how do I remain coordinated within my own organization, which which I think is a fairly natural outcome. The one thing I would highlight is that on a once again on an individual effectiveness level, um, like someone like myself, I'm used to operating on a global basis and, and working a lot with teams in Europe, in Manila, and so on. I'm used to hitting people up for virtual coffees on video because you don't get to travel around and see everyone face to face. I found if you have that kind of background and experience, it's been an easier transition. If you're someone who has got the the sort of the benefit of coming into the office each day and walking over to someone's desk and you, you don't really have to do that global networking, uh, that mindset shift's been different. And that's why people start complaining about my diaries, you know, just filled up full of half hour meetings, meeting individuals, because that's the only way they know how to respond. Yeah. So I think that that working practices part, people have will flex and find what suits them. And that will take a little bit of time as well. Okay. And Michael, I'll kick it over to you coming, you know, um, obviously Andrew and David are CDO by background. Um, Chief Information Officer, what's been your experience? What are some of the lessons learned along the way? Yeah, I think um, really since COVID, you know, the acceleration of digital has really challenged uh, the model for financial institutions. So, you know, we've had to significantly increase the pace of our digital transformation. And that also means our data transformation. And the two uh, go hand in glove. So, you know, we've had to shift more to sales and servicing online. We've had to focus on efficiencies at a faster pace to fuel uh, those investments. So, you know, the good news was we were already on that journey. We started about a year ago as a next generation technology strategy, which really was, you know, really moving to the cloud, moving to an agile development mindset, uh, developing RESTful APIs, really focused on advanced analytics and, you know, building a data lake out uh, in, uh, in the cloud environment to, to leverage that. Uh, and all of that was powered by uh, a real emphasis on engineering talent. So we've hired about 250 employees, engineering employees to the company, and really focused on building that engineering skill set in-house. Uh, and that's made a tremendous difference in our ability to deliver at speed 
leveraging some of these emerging technologies. And, and in this environment right now, you know, we have to do that, you know, our, to compete with the fintechs, to compete with the digital only banks, you know, we have to be on the front foot there. So uh, we're really investing much more in, in, the, in the digital transformation. Ken, let's build off that just a little bit. Let's let's talk uh, a little bit about cloud. Uh, Michael, I'll start with you here. Um, so do you have a partnership with what usually it's what, AWS, Google, or Microsoft, sometimes <laughs> IBM? Is, uh, is that who you are partnering with to build this data lake? Or is this something where you're kind of going down a little bit of the Bank of America route, uh, building it kind of internally yourself? No, no, we're partnering with uh, with AWS. So okay. because we started this journey probably a, a little later, uh, it did, I would say, give us the advantage of being able to leapfrog and go straight to uh, you know the public cloud as opposed to building our own Hadoop cluster and all the you know challenges that that involves with all that that level of expertise in house. So we're able to spin up uh, uh, you know EC2s, AWS instances pretty rapidly. And over the last year, we've ingested about half of our systems of record into that that data lake. Uh, we do have a CDO. Uh, he's doing a tremendous job, I think. You know, establishing the appropriate data governance and making sure that the data that gets loaded into the lake is clean. Uh, and we're on a mission of what I would like to call, you know, all those data villages that have grown up in the past, all those data marts that are very line of business specific of decommissioning them and bringing them into the data lake and then sourcing them from the one single source of truth it, it's a journey right we're sure. a year in 18 months in uh, but we have a very thoughtful plan around how we're going to do that over the next couple of years and you know just one thing just to maybe clarify for myself because it's funny some people use the, the term data lake differently right and so some people they, they view data lakes almost as like a bad kind of you know uh, not word but kind of a bad thing like you know i'm just going to dump all my data here and then voila i'm just I'll, I'll be able to pick it out but it just doesn't work that way right so yeah, right. but it doesn't sound like that's also you know you guys are talking about that there is um, a very strict layer over cleansing the data to make sure what are kind of some of the challenges or recommendations that you would make as you've gone along this transition toward uh, having an effective data lake that, you know, where you can get the data when you need it in kind of the fashion that you need it in? Uh, a couple of things. One is to really make sure that, you know, you understand the data quality, right? So we've done, looked, we've got a number of data quality scorecards and we're really improving the quality of the, the data at the source, initiating initiatives to make sure we're capturing that that data right uh, and then it's been fed uh into the uh you know into the data lake we've changed our etl tools frankly to, to more modern technology uh we're starting on some real-time uh stuff using kafka uh and you know so i think it's important once again it's 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 a journey right not nothing's going to happen overnight it takes yeah. a long time to cleanse that data you have to have good data governance in place. You have to have data stewards in place in the business. Who really, the people who really understand that that data uh, and you know can can create the effective metadata. We've we've used different vendors for glossary tools so that you know it's easy to find and discover 
the data so that people you know know what they're using when they they say they're using what's account status what does that actually mean so yeah. a variety of, of of things like that okay and andrew maybe you know since you know, as as you noted you guys have announced a partnership with uh, google you know to build off of what michael was saying maybe what what are some of the kind of lessons learned for you guys along the way yeah, it's, it's sort of fairly early stages in that direction, but I spend a lot of time talking to vendors and, and it is interesting. There is a, there's a lot of interesting technology out there. And as Michael says, you get to, you get to leapfrog some of, of the, let's say, gradual advance, advances by early adopters. But there is still this underlying discipline that's needed. You know, it's, it's a, um, I would say it's how, how do you bell the cat, right? So whenever I talk to, a, let's say, a data cataloging company, uh, and they talk, they normally, they'll sprinkle uh, machine learning, AI around it. They normally have a really impressive interface. And, and to be honest, the piece of kit is normally impressive. But then you have to say, where's your starting point? And your starting point is still well-managed, controlled data. You can't, no matter how good the new piece of technology, it, it can't solve fundamental underlying problems that you might have. And if you migrate those, those sort of disparate data sources and a lack of a cohesive enterprise data model, and you migrate that to the cloud, you're going to have a scaled up far faster mess as opposed to I'm not saying everyone's got an existing mess but you know if you're migrating you're migrating for a reason so i'd say you know it's, it's always um you need to take advantage of the new tech there's a lot of good stuff there and i think the 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 old approach of let's hire a hundred business analysts and put them in a warehouse and get them to look at data feeds you know if, you, if you're doing that your head's your head's in the wrong place you need to to leverage some of these data profiling capabilities and other kind of sort of toolkits that are around but you can't back away from from the basic disciplines. If if you do so, you're still going to end up migrating um, migrating a problematic solution. Okay. And uh, David, why don't you build off of uh, what they were saying? Also, you know, what what is kind of your a little bit of the, the cloud strategy? Is it an AWS uh, partnership or, um, or or Google or Microsoft or something that you're doing more internally? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts on that, and actually, I want to tie back into a couple points you made, Tony, and a couple of things that Michael said as well. Uh, we are on a cloud journey as well. We do have that relationship. And when we think about it um, within our organization, we do it on a global scale. And then, you know, I have I have regional representation for North America. So how we are fitting into that cloud, um, that cloud based model uh, and, and, and figuring that out. But the thing that you you touched on just a second ago that, you know, made me made me uh, resonated with me, right, is the the definition of a data lake or the definition of a, of, of a data store and what does that mean? Um, and then where does a, a cloud type environment play into that and, and how does that all evolve? And I was on a recent conversation uh, where we were discussing the role that a, that a data lake within a cloud should play within um, a Dodd-Frank required lineage for certain customer attributes. And, you know, there's a perceived notion in the industry that everything needs to move to this data lake type environment and that this data lake needs to play this data distribution role um, for all things data. And, you know, I think the reality of it is, and, and you both, Tony and Michael, touched on this a little bit, the reality of it is there are, there are local data stores all throughout organizations. There are a, there's a overarching desire, right, to move to something that's more holistic, and how do you ultimately get there? Um, but, but it doesn't mean, uh, I don't think necessarily that the way of the future is to dump everything in that data lake, like you mentioned, that all of a sudden that data lake is the one-stop shop for all things data for that organization. Um, I think that that is 
Uh, I, I've seen organizations that at least hover around that and try to figure out what that means. And, and it's a very broad and complex thing to try to solve and tackle. And, and I think comes with a lot of issues and concerns. But I think more importantly is how do you tap into that data across the organization that might exist in those disparate locations, but make, make it widely available um, and not necessarily migrating or moving all of that data into a single location. But more importantly, know that it exists and that it exists within an authoritative data place, right, that is allowed to distribute distribute that data um, for the right purpose. Uh, and then if you need a distribution layer that goes across and makes that data available to a broader audience, uh, doing something, something like that. But it is a long haul and a long journey to try to migrate or move every data warehouse or every data store that you have in your organization all into a single platform. And then also partnering or paralleling, excuse me, paralleling that with the drive for analytics right should your data lake be the fundamental provider of data for analytical components or should it be the fundamental data provider and or the fundamental data provider for all your functional needs across the organization whether it's risk whether it's finance whether it's compliance whether it's any of those areas that need to consume data um, that's produced within the organization. So I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that this is a very complex topic and how you bridge together a very blended mixture of tools within, I'm sure, any given organization, large organization that you know has, has developed these over time. So there is no perfect answer, but I just wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, by definition, to your point, there are there are lots of tools on different scales and of different levels of granularity that provide this. And each one needs to be considered how it fits into the ecosystem. And then where is it appropriate to migrate to, you know, a data lake and or a cloud-like environment um, to to provision data based on your needs within the organization. Okay. And, you know, maybe to, to take a quick little detour, but I think it is actually an interesting uh, uh, point. Uh, Andrew, let me kick it over to you about, all right, so you have more and more people working remotely. Um, we, we, on a previous panel, I was, I was talking with a bunch of, uh, uh, a bunch of tech experts and we we're talking about what's going to happen with office space and, you know, the, the global footprint that so many banks uh, spend just to, to have, um, uh, just the workspace that they have and, and all that office space that they're spending money on and kind of some concepts around um, what becomes of that. But, you know, we were talking with uh, Scott Markar um, uh, previously and we were talking about just the, 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 the disaster recovery footprint and all the money that's kind of spent on that. As you have more and more of a remote workforce and as this has proven effective, yeah, there are hiccups, yeah, there are challenges, but, you know, people were able to make this transition okay. What kind of becomes from a disaster recovery perspective, from a strategy perspective, what are kind of maybe some of the conversations that you're having around that now? Yeah, I think there's a couple of, of interesting topics there. So so number one is is the tendency of people to fight the last battle. Right. So you have a Hurricane Sandy, therefore you go, you want a sort of a, a geographically distanced backup center. Right. Right now we've got a pandemic. People will rush straight to well. Disaster recovery should just be from your home office. So the, I, I think as we as we sort of settle in now, there needs to be a bit of considered thinking about it, which is, okay, what what are the roles that can be, be carried out at home equally effectively? Uh, what are the roles, you know, if you think from trading risk control, where the organisation could do them from home because they are right now, but would prefer them to be in a uh, in in an, in a um, in another location. 
because we can't assume that everything that comes along now will be a pandemic in the same way we couldn't assume that everything that would come along after Sandy would be a hurricane. Mm -hmm. So so I think there's some broad themes that can be drawn from this. I, I think that the footprint's going to reduce because your, let's say your, your, your staff who are can operate effectively from home and don't have a, a regulatory constraint or don't have an organizational sort of risk consideration constraint, then they can carry on working at home, right? That, that's going to become far more accepted. For others where it's either driven out of a, a regulatory authority or it's driven out of the organization's desire to control risk, we'll still need that other location. So, yeah, it's, it's a broad theme. I think there'll be a, a shrinking. I don't think it goes away. And I think there'll be a tighter delineation between who's needed in a, in a recovery site versus who can operate effectively at home. Is that also then tied to, you know, because if just five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, certainly, but certainly even five years ago, I would say the idea of leaning heavily on these public cloud providers was anathema to, uh, to many banks on Wall Street, right? But now, Every single bank, every single major asset manager, exchange, everybody's, you know, starting to embrace these new cloud uh, providers and cloud tools. Does that move to these public cloud providers who can spend billions of dollars on, say, cybersecurity or on disaster recovery? Is that kind of part? Is is that playing into that move? That's that's a good question. Look, I think it probably depends on your organization. You know, if, if you're a sort of a large globally significant investment bank, you've already got a huge amount of investment in a in a capability, you know, be it an internal cloud or whatever form you have. Uh, if you're a smaller organization, then I think it really helps you to take advantage of that, that sort of public cloud size and expertise. Okay. And uh, David, for you, how do you uh, view it as going back to this kind of idea around disaster recovery and shrinking the footprint and maybe trying to free up resources or do you think that that we're still not quite there yet yeah i have a couple of thoughts on it i'm going to start with the point around even just moving virtually and and challenges that go with moving virtually you know what i find is interesting is the i'm going to think about it more from a, a user experience perspective than the deployment perspective and how do you make not just to get the, the the laptop to the individual right that has to perform the work but their environment has changed right so where individuals in the workplace are used to using two and three monitors they get into their work from home environment and they're down to a single monitor which uh is a less productive experience in many cases and so you know how do you even manage beyond the laptop um the right the right setup to make uh, an individual's work as productive as before uh, i know an ind uh, an individual that works in another organization and i like what their organization did they gave each employee um you know in two different allotments up to 500 dollars to spend on building out their personal equipment to to make their virtual space more effective and and more useful and that organization has also said we're not going to come back into physical locations until sometime in 2021. So they've already made an investment, a vested commitment into having individuals set up that personal workspace. So it's broader than just getting that laptop in front of you. It's also getting into an environment that's very effective um, for efficient and effective working. The other part I would uh, add on to now kind of dipping into the, the recovery locations, et cetera, I think it's been an uh, interesting experience for uh, us 
during this process because we have a recovery location. It's located north of the city, New York City, and we actually started leveraging it as a result of COVID. So we moved a portion of our workforce into the recovery location so that you could spread individuals out and create social distancing, but still have an environment or a place for individuals to go. So yes, the bulk of the workforce is working from home, but there is a portion also that is gone to the recovery locations. And we're using the recovery locations as a means of ramping employees back into the into the workplace environment so that we can also maintain social distancing and, and the practices that we need to uh, from that perspective as well as a, as a slightly safer environment. The other part I want to add on to it, and I think um, Michael might have commented on this a little bit as well, and maybe Andrew too, about compliance and policy, right? So uh, in many organizations like us, as an example, you have traders, you move traders to a work from home envi environment that comes with compliance considerations. And what does that look like? What does that mean? How do I manage those? So there has to be a whole rethinking around how you manage um, not just the technical privacy components of it, but then also insider trading aspects of it, recorded lines, like all of the attributes that are required to make a trader's desk as functional as possible, uh, which is also why a recovery location might add value in time because you can still provide some of that functionality within within a location um, that you can't necessarily solve in all cases um, at in a, in a home environment. We had this conversation yesterday actually in an in, in, um, advisory panel about you know um, how effective is it to have your traders at home versus traders elsewhere and and there are mixed feelings and views on that uh, in terms of how successful it's been but my point is ethics and all of that always come into play we're always being challenged by new environments and having to think through based on your job function uh, what that looks like over time so i think it's an interesting thing to consider you know there's a lot of impact there but i totally agree with both michael and andrew that i think the footprint will decrease and i think how people use city centers versus you know outlying areas to um to solve uh physical location needs will also be probably under consideration yeah it's, it's kind of like what andrew was saying about you know you're always trying to fight that last battle and you know it, there's kind of it, it would seem to me it sounds to me um that there's almost there's a bit of there has to be a knee-jerk reaction. Just here's an issue. We have to get our employees working. What do we have? We have this uh, disaster recovery center. That's a useful outlet. How can we repurpose things? And then, all right, you don't want to just be like, you know, because it's not going to be the last pandemic. It's not going to be the last superstorm standing. It's not going to be the last of that. How do you kind of what? How do you kind of better future-proof the organization so you aren't having to make these drastic adjustments? And 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 then you, as you were saying, you have to think about all right, what are our traders' needs? What are our back office, you know, reconciliation needs? What are our, you know, HR needs? Whatever it is, and then you almost have to figure out how to target for the future each of those, and that that can become daunting, I would guess. Yes, yeah, I totally agree with you. Each one of those needs to be thought about, right? Relevant, and and also to your point, you know, if we're always and we're always thinking about business continuity, right? That's a constant thing in our organizations. But how do you evaluate more than single scenarios and single events, um, and and by department and function to figure out how do you make that most useful, you know, in a workplace environment? Okay, and Mike, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to also jump in here, just looking at it from disaster recovery and you know kind of securing the organization as more and more people are working remotely, but also trying to figure out how to make the organization more efficient. 
um, with the use of its resources, whether that's office space or human capital? You know, what are some of the lessons that, that you've learned along the way here? Yeah, I think uh, from a, you know, we had pretty robust BCP plans in place, but of course, you know, I, I don't think even those uh, sort of foresee a global pandemic. So, you know, if you think about, you know, we have a contact centers, we have them in the US, but we also have them offshore in Costa Rica, in Panama, we have uh, service desks in Manila, right? So, you know, you think, well, you've got a good diversity of locations there, but, you know, with this, they all start, those locations all started shutting down, right? Mm -hmm. So then you have to really uh, pivot uh, and really think through how you're going to provide that level of support uh, in different ways. And uh, that was where, you know, we, we, we kept our contact centers and our branches open throughout this. We spaced people out in our contact centers. And we were fortunate we have multiple large facilities that were able to move people um, around in. Uh, but we also had to, you know, as I said earlier, double down on the work from home as a result of offshore uh, contact centers going down, you know, in uh, you know, in places that we, we had a single uh, place in Manila for our service desk. So when that was impacted, the service desk, you know, was uh, was down and uh, it was hours before those people were able to get home and provide support. And now we're looking at, well, you know, that one location strategy is probably not the right strategy. We probably need to have more than one location for our service desk. So, you know, Manila and in India potentially, or Manila back in the US. So we're pivoting and looking at things like that as a result of some of the lessons learned that this uh, pandemic has, uh, has brought. Uh, I'd, I'd say the other thing that's really interesting as well that it's brought is, is really where we're changing some of the skill sets of our folks as well. And where think about prior to, you know, think about transaction volume in branches, just as an example, mm -hmm. that has gone, you know, people are just not using branches as much anymore, right? Sure. They're using their mobile device to deposit checks. They're, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're not going into branches. So what we've been doing is really a, a reskilling of a lot of our workforce to make them more, relationship sort of driven and really focus on building that relationship when the customers come into the branch, really double down on our advisory uh, sort of capacity, you know, in those key life moments. So, and that once again, that has to be powered through data, right? So, you know, we're really looking at, you know, we're, we're making our customer 360 sort of database more robust. Once again, it's on the, the lake. I, I absolutely agree with David's comments as well. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Certainly, we have data marts fed off that uh, that lake. Uh, and I also agree that it's a journey. It's going to take us many years to get there. But I think it's also a good lesson learned is how do you, how do you think about the sort of skilling of your workforce to equip for these type of things? And as we're pivoting to more of the digital transformation, how do you give them those new skills, either to leverage technology deeper or to grow those relationships with our customers, whether it's retail branches, whether it's our commercial customers, whether it's our wealth management customers? Looking into a crystal ball as best as you can, 
there's obviously going to be a shift that's going to happen both internally with your workforce of, I prefer to work remotely um, versus those that are still like, no, we still need to have that team cohesion of people working together in an office and every single institution, Wall Street or healthcare, wherever it is, is going to have to figure out what their best strategy is. Um, you're hearing some banks are like, no, we're going back into the into the office. Um, as some of you mentioned, like companies, I think like Google are like, no, we're not planning on going back till 2021. And then who knows what's going to be after that. So you have employees that are having to change. And then just the customer experience, um, you know, there we, we put up a story today about how some um, retail banks are like, all right, customers have always wanted to still go into an, a physical location. Well, now you've gotten perhaps maybe some of those older customers. Now they're used to using technology now where they weren't in the past. Mm-hmm. So from a philosophical level, what are some of the conversations you're having just future looking to the future? How do you, what is maybe the best advice you could give to the people listening as to how you're trying to prepare your firm for this kind of different mindset of people are now used to working remotely. They like working remotely and they're also the customer base is also used to using technology when maybe they weren't as comfortable in the past. Michael, I know it's a, I, I, I'm a wordy person and might not make complete sense there. Take it, take it your own way. Let's go with it. What do you yeah, got? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, look, we, we want to get people back into our office locations, our, our colleagues uh, in a safe manner in accordance with state regulations. And, and we're doing that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's optional. People can come back into the office. We have the, we have the space um to do that oh, with, so, you know, so what's what's the opportunity so so regardless so, of when they're going to come I, back in what's the opportunity for the future maybe yeah i think yeah i mean i think um i think we will definitely look at our real estate footprint like many others and say you know do, do how much of your workforce because you're right you said earlier people are working very very effective from from home and i think there are certain functions that will continue to work from home certainly you know, think of the technology organization, right? I think people are very adept to working from home. They, they, uh, many really enjoy working from home and can do that, you know, and as we, you know, we're, we're moving to agile, which in some ways, you know, you look at all the stats, agile is best when people are working in pods or, or scrums together, right? <laughs> Co-located, one room, eight to 10 people, ideating, whiteboarding, etc. Now, you know, can you get there virtually? Yes, if you have the right tools, you're using whiteboarding technology, you're using, you know, WebEx or Zoom or video technology, and are you constantly using that? So I think more and more as those tools become more pervasive, and certainly through this, through this crisis, they have to, uh, you know, David's earlier point, Andrew's earlier points, you know, we're using a plethora of different uh, workplace technology but it's all with the same aim. So I, I do think we will continue, the trend will be to continue to have a substantial number of people from home. I do think we want to get people back into the uh, the office for the productivity reasons uh, as well. Uh, on the, you know, so on, on the customer front, uh, you know, once again, yes, we will see, I think, less less foot traffic in the, in, in the branches. And, uh, you know, we've been, We've sort of seen that anyway. That's been the trend anyway, but this is this is increasing that. So 
as I said earlier, how do we double down on our digital investments really to make sure we are appropriately marketing to those individuals who are never going to set foot in a branch, right? Mm -hmm. How do we tailor and personalize, you know, the, the recommendations, the offers, the rewards to those types of individuals? How do we give them that, that expert advice when they're not coming into the branches? How do we do that digitally? So, you know, we will be pivoting some of our investments uh, to that, uh, you know, um, to, to definitely focus on the more, you know, online um, online aspects. Okay, David, uh, for you, you know, as we move toward this dystopian society of everybody working remotely with technology, uh, what are maybe, do you think, are maybe some of the unforeseen opportunities that maybe people need to start thinking about now that it might not be something you're putting in place now, but that this is something that now needs to at least be having the discussion amongst IT team, data teams, and at the board level? You know, and uh, it's interesting. And um, this has been a little bit of a kick, right? A catalyst, right? To make us think think differently. And some of the more uh, organizations that have thought more traditionally that you always have to be in an office location and you always have to, you know, abide by that. And you, know, you just can't operate in, in a virtual space quite as well. It's, this has been an opportunity to let's test all of that, right? So people can see how it might or might not work in their workspace. And then how do you leverage the learnings out of that when you figure out your next steps going forward? And I was on a conversation yesterday where people just in general comment, you know, missing the water cooler talks and missing the camaraderie that you get, or if you're doing that whiteboarding session, being able to sit around and, and how do you, how do you fulfill some of those needs? You guys also talked about tooling and I think tooling is incredibly important to make this as effective as and, and as efficient as possible and it takes a bit of time for people to get used to what tooling works best in what scenario and as you guys already said right we're using different tooling depending on who we're talking to and if we're talking outside of our organization versus inside of our organization and how do you make all that work and and how do you use instant messaging to cover the water cooler component and how do you share screens you know all of that is new for some people um, and it's a culture shift but the other cultural component that we were talking about is how is like if you are a manager of a team um, and you're in a leadership role like that how do you set the right tone so if you know does that leader or manager have to be in the office to show that the you know it's appropriate then for the rest of the the team to also be in the office uh, and co-located together or can you have a a leader or a manager who's working remotely while their team is all in an office and you know what kind of message does that show and they're all the all these cultural and sort of community and uh, personal interaction experiences that have to be thought about that and as, as well. So as with anything, it's a very complex topic, right, um, to figure out, but it definitely is a catalyst in helping us test um, for organizations that don't use it quite as much what it feels like to, to work in these environments. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be one of the fascinating things. Wall Street notoriously you know, and in banking, finance, just notoriously, you're in your, you know, your suit and tie, whatever it is, you're at your desk at a certain time. You don't leave until the the, the last boss leaves. You know, there's going to be some shifting cultures there for sure. And uh, also, Andrew, I'm going to let you finish this off. David, is that your good puppy in the background that's uh, barking? Uh, that's, uh, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I didn't no, even no, no, hear no. You heard him. Best, I didn't even hear him. <laughs> best part of my day. Best part of my day. <laughs> uh, Andrew, uh, take us home on this. For you, what do you think are some of those long-term considerations that that folks in the audience need to start thinking about now as they're planning out 2021, 2022, and beyond? 
Yeah, so so there's been an absolute uh, the way I frame it is, is ripping the band-aid off in two directions. So there's been, I think, a market efficiency benefit, and I'll give you one example, and that's in Germany, the the uptake of digital signatures. Uh-huh. Right. So so there's been things like that which aren't that fancy, aren't that flashy, but will you know, will just be a forever benefit. Uh, moving away from things like paper, where people probably wanted to before, but it wasn't enough for driver to do it, and, and now they've done it, right? So you, you end up with those benefits. I think uh, some companies tend to announce that they're going to go full remote forever. Um, I think that's an overreaction. It's interesting. You look at back at the, some of the history of probably a company like Yahoo, which I think has sort of delved into that and then and then sort of reverted back to a more it's a common working environment. Uh, I think it's easier to maintain a, a team ethos in a crisis. <clears throat> you have this, we're all in this together, you got to get through it, there's more or less an end date in mind, you stick together. I think over time now, the premium will be on really strong, digitally savvy managers who can keep a team operating well through a blend of on-site and off-site. Because that does feel, I mean, the phrase is a bit hackneyed now, but that does feel like the new normal. Not completely off-site, not completely on-site, but how do you keep that that team momentum and effectiveness and efficiency going through that sort of you know, ongoing blended world? And uh, I would say one, one specific thing to take away, if you don't have access to a permanent chat channel, in other words, I say, would say that some form of technology where you can message each other uh, in a dispersed team and the chat remains even if you log off and you come back to it, you know, see if you can get one. See if you can get one in whatever your organization has. In terms of that informal water cooler type chat, uh, brief messages, not just from the manager, but from everybody, it's an incredibly effective way just to keep that bit of cohesion without having necessarily a scheduled call every day.